You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Jamie Foster. Uh, she's an associate professor at University of Florida. We're going to be talking about um, the interactions between microbial communities and their surrounding environments, uh, and finding out what's going on. You know, what's, what's, what's the microbial chatter, and how are they interacting with the environment? What are they eating? What are they excreting? You know, what, what are these guys doing? Is my understanding. What is the understanding? But Jamie, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. It's great to be here. So, I mean, there's lots of microbes, there's lots of environments. What's your focus? Which microbes, which environments are you looking at? Actually, my focus is I cast a wide net. And um, the reason is, is there's so many interesting things to look at. And a lot of times, believe it or not, things dovetail in. I mean, I work on microbes that live in squid and microbes that form rocks out there in the environment. And yet there's a lot of similarities and parallels uh, between them. And um, it, it's really a, a fun um, occupation, I should say. And and my microbes are just so important for our everyday lives. I mean, we almost everything we eat, everything we interact with, you know, is, is the product of microbes. Uh, one of your previous guests was talking about breathing and hypoxia and every breath of oxygen that you're taking into your body is actually because of microbes and their ability to produce uh, a lot of the materials and molecules that we need to survive. So if you um, you said you studied microbes inside of squid, what about inside of people or, or other animals? Um, I personally haven't studied humans. And, and the reason I study the microbes inside of a squid is because it's a lot simpler to work with. You know, and mm. the human microbiome is, is a very dynamic, um, it, it's really such an interesting uh, ecosystem. All the microbes that interface with our body, we call that the microbiome. And we're learning so much about how important the microbiome is for human health. Things like diabetes, obesity, some of our behaviors behaviors can all be, it's digestive disorders, all can be attributed to, to disruptions in the healthy microbiome of our bodies. And that, there's thousands of, of different species of microbes interfacing with our bodies, but yet it's really hard to understand 
what one bacterium A, B, and C is doing. And so to simplify that and, and work on model systems like the squid system, it gives us an opportunity to really teach part what one microbe is doing to one host. And that's what's so special about the squid symbiosis is that it enables a very simplified model system where we can ask more discrete questions about how the microbe is actually talking and communicating with the animal host. And then we can use the, that insight to make parallels with the human body. Yeah, so a question I don't, I don't have much clarity on is, uh, are you seeing a lot of interaction and cell-to-cell signaling between microbes of the squid and the squid somatic cells? The somatic, you mean the reproductive uh, tissues? Uh, no, no, just any of the any of the squid. Itself. Oh yeah, I mean, actually, the, we're the still bacteria still... just like living living there and eating stuff off the squid, or are they talking to the squid cells back and they're forth? They're actually talking. They're communicating. They're sending molecules back and forth between the tissues. It's it, you know, if we counted all the cells in our body, we're actually mostly microbes. You know, ninety percent mm. of the cells in our bodies are actually microbial. Now, by cell size, you know, the human cells, the eukaryotic cells are bigger. But in terms of sheer number, we're mostly microbes um, in terms of quantity. So um, with the squid, just like with our bodies, every surface is is interacting. The squid are literally bathed in, in different types of microbes as they're swimming through the water. But what's interesting is not every microbe colonizes the tissues. They form uh, symbiotic or special relationships over, they've done this over time and they've kind of, that's what we call it as a mutualistic symbiosis where one, the bacterium is helping the, the, the host or the animal do a specific function. And it's the same with humans too. We don't interact with every bacterium, but we've over time evolved special, special relationships with certain microbes. And for the squid, it's actually, they've evolved a relationship with a glow-in-the-dark bacterium in order to have the ability to hide from some of their predators. So that, that, that bacterium has given them kind of a special power, so to speak, to, to an invisibility cloak, if you might say, to in order to hide from predators. And in return, the bacteria get food. Uh, they get amino acids and certain nutrients from the squid in order to survive and live. So that, that's that give and take uh, in the case of the squid. And similar relationships, I mean, we're not glow-in-the-dark, but we have similar relationships with microbes where we get benefits from having their presence in our bodies. You know, it's weird. When, the, when a squid encounters a microbe that's not inside of it or a part of its normal functioning, who's doing the evaluating and the vetting? Is it by committee with the squid cells, the microbe cells, to say this new creature is friend or foe? Yeah, that is a very important question. Where is the balance between health and disease? Because a lot of the communication signals, we call them microbe-associated pattern molecules, but a lot of the, the molecules that bacteria and animals use to talk to each other are the same whether it's a pathogen or a beneficial microbe. So the, the trick here is to really understand 
where is the balance between health and disease and what tips it in one direction or another? Why does one bacterium become a pathogen and another one become a mutualistic bacteria, like a beneficial microbe? So that's been a, a conundrum that we've all been trying to understand this balance of health and disease. And in the case of the squid, um, the decision-making process, so to speak, is that the bacteria are kind of culled. They're kind of pulled out of the environment and enriched. And what the squid does is as soon as it's born, so the squid is born azenic, meaning it has no microbes uh, in its body or associated with it. So it has to go out and acquire those microbes every new generation um, that a baby squid is born into. And that's the same with humans too. And um, what happens is, is the squid, as soon as it tenses presence of microbes in the environment, that activates its immune system. And animals uh, have, uh, well, invertebrates have, well, all animals have an immune system. And some microbes, some animals have what's called an innate immune system, and, that, and they can respond to bacteria in a very generalized way. And so the squid's innate immune system is sensing these microbes and activating some of its responses. And what happens is, is it starts to produce, it has a special organ where the bacteria live inside. It's called the light organ. And yeah. the bacteria um, start to accumulate. They get they get um, enriched uh, because of some of the signals that the host is giving. And then some other microbes get, might get trapped up into that enrichment process, but they can't survive. The Vibrio fisheri has evolved mechanisms to deal with some of the immune responses or the stress responses that the squid puts on the bacteria. And so through a selection process, the squid kind of um, selects for this one type of microbe that it knows will luminesce and fluoresce inside its body, giving it it's this anti-predator behavior or called counter-illumination. So it's a multi-step process. Uh, how would it know that? How would the squid cells know? Well, they don't know oh, initially. The bacteria is a good one. Well, so there's this, so the, it's kind of this multi-layered password protected uh, situation where you have the squid is, first the squid is just sending an all points bulletin to say, come on bacteria, come in, into the vicinity of this, of my little special organ where you can live and get all the amino acids you want for life. So all these different types of microbes come in and then um, there are additional, there's like another signal of a, of a sugar that the bacteria um, will feed off of. And so, however, in order to travel into the light organ, it's kind of the gauntlet of death here, that there are many different hazards that the bacteria have to withstand. So if you are righteous enough, I guess, for that bacterium, and you can survive the, the extreme oxidative stress and all the different um, conditions that the squid is throwing at that microbe, then you are deemed worthy and you can enter the um, the little light organ and survive. So it's um, the bacteria are then sending back and forth, you know, it's alterating, it's altering its behavior in order to withstand what the squid is throwing at. So, so the squid kind of lures in lots of bacteria, but it creates a, a series of challenges, physical ch challenges that the bacteria have to overcome in order to make it past uh, we literally call them um, these ducks that travel into these little spaces so that they can, that the squid um, finally, excuse me, can get populated 
by this uh, this one type of microbe that can survive these challenges. So uh, there's always the same the same microbe that makes it to the light organ, right? Right. It's only one specific type. And if you make mutations in certain um, genes of this bacterium, you can knock out its ability to withstand. So we can then um, tease apart what genes, what protein products, what molecules are essential for that bacterium in order to colonize. Um, If it can't handle, for example, that that traveling down the duct and into the space into the spaces with it deep within the light organ is riddled with really high levels of oxygen stress molecules and if the bacteria can't upregulate or or make proteins to deal with those kinds of oxidative stress molecules they die. They just can't survive. So uh, there's lots of give and take between the bacterium and the host in order to establish this relationship. And and, and it's the it same with humans to, too. Go ahead. It seems to say that this foreknowledge is already an adaptive response that this particular strain of bacteria has made. So time no. and time again, when new squid come, that it would be able to get through to them. Well, I mean, there's obviously selection pressure. I mean, if, if, so mutations in bacteria happen a lot. I mean, in animals, it happens a little bit less, less frequently, but bacteria are constantly making mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes turns out to be something beneficial. Um, but for the most part, if the squid makes them, if the, excuse me, if the bacteria makes a mistake and all of a sudden like, can't upregulate its, a certain enzyme to deal with the oxygen stress, it's out, it's, it's gone. So there becomes this constant pressure to always produce these kinds of molecules. And I mean, that's evolution. I mean, it's, it's some sort of variation in the population that some microbes have this gene and, and, and not all Vibrio fisheri are the same. I mean, uh, uh, there's some strains of Vibrio fisheri that can't do this um, because they haven't undergone these selection pressures. And now another thing that helps this process, maybe will help explain this, is that every morning, so the, the light organ fills up with Vibrio fisheri and they grow and they start to luminesce. But every morning the squid spits out, it vents all, um, 95% of the microbes it's been harboring all night back into the environment. So that's also adding a selection pressure to to cultivate essentially the microbes you want to to have come back into to for the next generation of microbes for the next generation of squid excuse me so it is preferentially seeding the environment around itself in order to um, for for its babies to acquire that special Vibrio fisheri that can that can glow in the dark and and provide the squid with this. Um, anti-predator behavior so this venting process so that means that it's, it's ejecting it's ejecting the bacteria that have adaptively responded to the squid's environment that were successful it's ejecting right. them so essentially a pre-informed when baby squid comes they're the most likely to make it through because they've already adapted and they know the right. environment exactly it's a massive selection process. Now, the bacteria are just doing whatever it takes to survive. They don't necessarily care what they're doing in, in some respects, but they're just, okay, this, when I have this gene, when I keep, so there's a certain selection pressure in order to keep becoming luminescent. There, there's a selection pressure in order to have a certain complement of genes. And if they lose that, then they lose that ability to form that relationship. So there's a lot of uh, 
yeah, there might be a lot of variation within the, the Vibrio fisheri population, but that selection pressure of constantly being reseeded and being able to only pick those microbes that can survive this gauntlet of doom here in order to get into the light organ, that adds, that's what evolution is all about. It's just adding selection pressure to select for certain different um, mutations or certain different characteristics. Well, how about trying the experiment of uh, ejected Vibrio fisheri? with uh, ones that have never been inside a squid, see if there's any horizontal gene transfer or sharing of information so that the, uh, the previously yeah. un, you know, undigested or uh, you know, unentered squid ones adapt so they're able to do that without yeah. ever having been inside a squid. Yeah, there, there is actually. And, and actually, the, there's so many generations that happen later that, that yeah, the, the, you're talking about many descendants of, of that microbe that got ejected from the light organ for that microbe's descendants then to, to colonize the next generation. Because um, the Vibrio fisheri divides every 30 minutes or so in, in an optimal situation. And so it's many generations later that that microbe eventually would colonize the next baby squid. So there is definitely a benefit to keeping this certain genes. And, and like I said, this selection pressure um, gets maintained in the environment in order to keep this kind of association going. Well, not just descendants, but, you know, oh, all right, let me back up. Have you characterized Vibrio fisheri that have never been inside a squid? Are there ones out there that you've been able to take and compare them to ones that have been spit out by a squid that were successfully living inside one and seeing yeah. what the differences are? Yeah, people have started to do that. They've actually sequenced the genome of, of Vibrio fisheri that just never colonized squid. And then there's some that uh, they've sequenced the genome to look for what is it, what are the characteristics that these uh, Vibrio fisheri need in order to colonize. And there are differences. Like if you took a Vibrio fisheri from the Atlantic Ocean that has never seen a squid, and then you, you sequence it and compare it to a Vibrio fisheri that just got ejected from a a squid ventate is yeah. There's a lot of differences. So the so the the genome of Vibrio fisheri. You're right. It's malleable. It can exchange genetic information as do most bacteria. There's constantly swapping of of genes and plasmids. But if they swap out something bad, and that doesn't allow them to uh, colonize the squid, then they'll they kind of get removed from that population. They kind of lose out. So there there is um even though there's a lot of genetic swapping of material. There's always that constant background of selection pressure for uh, us to become a, what we call a symbiosis competent uh, bacterium. But if you put together naive and uh, I don't know what you call the opposite of naive. Oh, yeah. Experience. If you do a competition, like if you put two guys together and tried to compete them, you'll see differences. Only the guys that, have, that know how to colonize get in. You can definitely do all kinds of what we call competition experiments where you might add a gene or take away a gene and ask, okay, how did this affect its what we call fitness in, a, in its ability to colonize and thrive? Not only, you know, not, some microbes. I'm not saying, okay, go ahead. I'm not saying competition. Like I said, have you taken oh, okay. naive Vibrio fisheri and had them hang out in the local environment with experienced ones and see if the experienced ones inform the naive ones mm -hmm. so that without ever having been inside a squid, they're able to do so successfully the first time more often than just naive ones that have never been informed. Well, if it's if it's of the right strain, um, if it's the right strain, then a naive Vibrio fisheri can colonize no problem. 
But if it's a different strain, then no, you would have to probably, it would have to undergo some sort of genetic um, manipulation in order in, to enable it to colonize. So, but, but we have naive Vibria fisheri all the time that we, um, we colonize the squid with. So, so almost every single experiment I do, uh, that Vibria fisheri has never seen the inside of a squid. So it, it's really, um, what we're just taking the, we're taking a strain of Vibria fisheri that has been, you know, pass down its essential genes. And so um, that's pretty much every experiment we do and that disease Vibrio fisheri have never seen the inside of a squid. Mm. So are you looking at, uh, you said you know what they eat inside the squid. How about um, what they excrete or the uh, signaling that they do? Have you analyzed that and have you found anything interesting there? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting products, um, and and we don't know the full extent of of all the different molecules. But one molecule in particular that seems to be really important for the host for the bacterium is a, mole- a molecule called lipopolysaccharide, and also an, there's several of them. But I'll just talk about that one, and that molecule seems to trigger the developmental change inside the host. So the the host kind of receives that signal. And then it undergoes a developmental remodeling because of that signal. We call it apoptosis. It's or programmed cell death. And um, so once the bacteria colonize, they're kind of releasing signals as well. And we don't understand the full cascade and, you know, which, you know, the entire pathway. But there's definitely examples where the, 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 ho- the bacterium is manipulating the host to release certain um, goodies for the bacteria to survive. And also it's the bacteria releasing certain signals that diffuse outward and um, can trigger changes within the host. So it's a really interesting way, again, to to study how the effects that um, microbes have on the physiology and the response of animals. Okay. So what what are your goals with the, uh, with the research? What are you hoping to figure out? Well, my little piece of the, the symbiosis, um, uh, research community is, is I've actually been trying to apply this to space biology. So, um, we currently have an international space station and, and we have plans to go further out and, and uh, go back to the moon and hopefully to Mars in the next few decades. And in order to take humans um, out of the biosphere, we really need to understand how microbes are going to be affected by that, by the space environment. Specifically, I look at microgravity. There's other things like radiation and other factors in the space environment, but I'm really interested um, here, I, I'm down here at the Kennedy Space Center, and we're very interested in how the space environment is affecting that balance between health and disease between microbes and their animal hosts. And that's kind of been the work I've been focusing on in the last few years. Okay, anything uh, interesting you've seen? Have you gotten experiments onto the space station and evaluated what that, well, uh, the changes have been? Well, I've had experiments up on the space shuttle uh, back in 2011 on the last two space shuttle missions, and I'm scheduled to to launch um, to send another experiment on the International Space Station. But one of the well, the first good thing is is that uh, the, our study showed that the bacteria, the Vibrio fisheri, was able to find its way into that light organ and call. So I use the squid again as a model because it's so much smaller and simpler. 
But um, we were able to get positive colonization in the space environment, which was good. We weren't sure how microgravity would, uh, would if it would disorientate the back bacteria or change their behavior. So that was a good thing. The other more profound uh, results that we've been finding doing microgravity related studies is that it seems that the having your, when you don't have your microbes. So the good thing about the squid is we can grow them without bacteria. So we can see what happens when they don't have it and when they do have it. And when we grow them without bacteria and put them under the stress of being in microgravity, they actually don't do so well. They actually have problems. They start to show different kinds of stress responses. Their immune system kind of goes haywire. And um, when, but however, when we add Vibrio fisheri to the animal, the immune response seems to calm down. We start to see um, less oxidative stress. We haven't tested other stresses, but that's the main one. So it seems like Vibrio fisheri is helping to modulate the stress response of the back of the animal in the microgravity environment. So that could actually be have some implications for human health as well. That um, because one of the things that happens to astronauts as well as squid is that their immune systems can become compromised in space. So we would need to be very careful about um, what microbes are present, whether it's on their food or on, on the surfaces of the spacecraft or among, interacting with their bodies. So we've been trying to um, understand you know, what happens under the stress environment. And what we found is beneficial microbes are really critical for, at least for squid health, um, under those microgravity conditions. So we're, um, we've been publishing those results over the last few years. Well, how are they important for squid health? What are they specifically doing for the squid? So um, when they when they get into the light organ, um, one of the things that happens in microgravity that we're seeing in the squid is that there's an increase in the production of what's called oxygen reactive oxygen species. These are things like different molecules of oxygen that are really reactive and can cause problems for the host. So what we've been finding is that in the stress of microgravity, there's a lot of these oxygen radicals, and we're finding that when bacteria are present, they're kind of turning down or they're, they're helping the squid deal with that oxidative stress environment. So having the bacteria around is actually helping them cope. At a, this is all at a molecular level um, with being in a in a more oxidatively stressful environment. So that's one angle. And the other thing that's that they're doing is they uh, seem to be regulating or modulating the response. So they're helping the squid um, kind of tone down their their immune response. So sometimes uh, when there's no bacteria, they upregulate all these different kinds of immune genes, and that can be stressful for the animal. And so the bacteria kind of calming things down molecularly um, and helping uh, produce fewer of these um, uh, molecules uh, associated with the immune system. How are they doing this, do you think? Literally, by what uh, mechanism? Um, that I don't actually know. So we're working on trying to replicate this in the lab. And one of the things that we're hypothesizing is one of the... So squid have an immune... They have like... There are these things called macrophages that our bodies have that kind of go out and they sniff around. And if there's a, um, a microbe they don't like, they kind of phagocytose that microbe and then they destroy it. Squid have very similar cells. We call them hemocytes. And um, in the microgravity environment, those hemocytes 
don't move where they're supposed to go. They kind of just don't migrate very well. And so what we've been trying to figure out is why is, why is microgravity um, affecting the movement and the tra- what we call the trafficking of these, these immune cells to where they're supposed to go? And we don't know if they're, get, if they're not getting the signal um, so it could be that the, the that something about microgravity is is not transmitting the signal to the immune system to respond properly, or if the cells themselves are getting the signal but they're not responding um, uh, to the same extent they would as if they if there was gravity around. So we're right now trying to um, figure out: is it the signal or is it the response? Uh, that is is different in microgravity. And so we've designed a few experiments that my graduate student is working on right now to look at um, signature, like try to artificially boost the signal to trigger some of these microbes, uh, excuse me, to trigger the movement of these immune cells. And um, we're creating what we call an, a simulated microgravity environment where we're replicating some of the 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 physiological factors associated with microgravity to try to suss out some possible hypotheses that later could be tested on the International Space Station. The problem with doing any kind of experiment in space is it's really expensive. So we try to use these. Um, they're imperfect, that is for sure, um, but we use this modeled microgravity um, simulator that will help us uh, try to answer, try to develop testable hypotheses that we can then test in space. But for for we're we're trying to isolate whether it's the the, the signal or the response, and that's kind of where we're at right now. And I don't have more information for you. Hopefully, you will. I guess the uh, the cells and the bacteria are sensing gravity. They must have some component of their cells. They that can, are. You know. They are. It seems like they're changing. And, and it's you would think that something so small with the forces that they wouldn't, but they do seem to have different physiological responses in microgravity. And one of the things that we've been seeing is they actually seem to – I talked about this, this molecule called lipopolysaccharide. It's an endotoxin that a lot of bacteria use to communicate with animal cells. And in microgravity, um, what's happening is the membrane of these bacteria are getting weaker and they're actually um, cause it's causing more of this endotoxin to slough off into the environment. And that might be part of the reason why the squid are, are changing some of their physiological. We didn't, I didn't really talk about that, but they're changing their behavior as well. And so we're trying to figure out what is it about not having gravity that is changing, that is weakening the membrane of the bacteria. And we're just um, trying to figure that out right now. But we definitely are seeing um, physiological responses. Bacteria tend to grow faster in microgravity. Their, their membrane is weak. They're, they're definitely changing their behavior uh, in the absence of gravity. Well, if you look, what's the uh, approximate diameter of a bacterial cell that you're studying? About one micron. So one one millionth of a of a of a meter. So if you look at like so you know, if I imagine the bacteria is like a sphere sitting on a surface. The top is the, the gravity differential between the top of the sphere and the bottom of the sphere, you know, when it's on Earth, it's somehow able to sense that because it loses that sense in space. And that would be absolutely a incredibly tiny differential, I would think that the bacteria is able to sense across that tiny distance. Absolutely. And I think that it has to do with shear forces. And so this is 
pushing my limits of understanding in terms of I am definitely not a physicist, but or fluid dynamics person. But what also is what's happening in microgravity is that you're getting a change, a change in the shear forces that's happening in the liquids. And so the microbes are growing faster. And that might be especially there. The, this particular bacterium is modal and it and it does seem to respond differently to these lower shear forces than it would if there's gravity pushing down them and maybe causing a higher shear force so it could be even in this these like you said these small uh scales we we do see physio, you know physical changes in what's happening in their micro environment have you tested the um the uh how sensitive they are to chemical gradients. You know, um, have you looked at adding uh, just literally just a few molecules of something to solution and seeing if they could sense the chemical they gradients? They do have, they definitely have chemotactic responses. They definitely have that. And um, in the case, for example, sugars, you can actually create, uh, they love chitin. This particular microbe loves chitin. It's a sugar. And um, chitobio, excuse me, that's the sugar. And you can set up a trail and, and create chemical gradients to, to lure them in. And that's actually how the squid um, attracts some of, the, some of the Vibrio fisheri in, is it sets up this chemical gradient and the squid squ swims up there. And that's why we think that there's not uh, a problem in space of actual colonization because the bacteria are probably following this chemical gradient. So, yeah, that's a good observation you made. Awesome, too. I guess the pressure gradient would be developed if it wasn't in space, but if it is in space, it might not. There's the weight of the fluid above a certain point that would create pressure on it. And if there's no weight to well, it, because it's weightless, you know, then uh, there'd be no the pressure. pressure yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about the changes in the pressure. So uh, I'm not changes. So in the habitat uh, that we've tested, there should not really be changes in pressure. Uh, we've tried really hard to, to, you know, it's an enclosed space. And, and um, in terms of partial pressure, uh, of the environment, it's the same pressure as if, you know, the partial pressure of the atmosphere, so to speak, is the same as if it would be on Earth. Um, they, it's still 14, was it 14.1 part PSI or something like that. So that shouldn't change in the little um, uh, hardware, the flight hardware that we're actually using. But but you're right, I haven't really looked at that. So there could be issues there with the the actual physics of that environment especially the fluid dynamics. I haven't explored that in the hardware yet um, that we're going to be yeah. using. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, I guess the last question, have you looked at what these uh, these bacteria, again, are excreting and seeing if that's the food source for the squid or what they are excreting and what happens to those uh, chemicals? Yeah, a lot of those chemicals kind of diffuse across the membrane. And a lot of times they can, we don't have a full understanding of, of what the squid is, is a complete composite of all the molecules that the squid is, is passing through. But there does seem to be a protein um, that, well, there does seem to be several examples of that the microbes are kind of triggering the the release of of little vesicles by the the cells the host cells lining um, and this, the bacterium are kind of activating with to release um, and we don't know yet if that is a physical like a cell to cell contact or if this is a diffusible signal 
but um, the presence of the Vibria fisheri will actually release little vesicles to be released. And, this, and it's just a huge amount of food for the bacterium and then they can eat them. So we are, we're still working on all the different dynamics of the molecules that go back and forth between the host and the squid, but there definitely seems to be um, uh, a lot of, of activity by the bacteria in order to manipulate the, the cells around the, their, their little habitat, their little crypt space there in order for them to um, activate the squid to, in order to, to feed them. So it's kind of like uh, maybe a baby bird uh, triggering the, the mom's uh, reflex there to, to provide food for the bacteria. Okay, very good. So what, what's your, uh, what would be like a happy result for you in the next you know, couple of years? What kind of results would you be thrilled to see? Well, first, I'd like to, to see if we can replicate some of the experiments we've been doing on the ground in space and, and really see if, we, if the bacteria truly are modulating and controlling the immune system. And I think then uh, that information could potentially translate to more human uh, cell models. It's very hard to do experiments on actual uh, humans in space. For some reason, astronauts don't like to be dissected. I don't, I don't get that one, but that was sarcasm. But anyway, um, we are trying, hopefully the end result would be some information that will help mitigate potential health problems for the astronauts and that they can use that information to, um, to deal with potential um, uh, microbiome related uh, diseases that astronauts might be susceptible to as they're traveling beyond Earth's biosphere. Okay. Well, very good. So what's um What's the best way for people to get in touch, to ask questions, to see some of your papers, to, you know, adopt a squid? Well, I have a, Just kidding. Adopt a squid. We actually had an adopt a squid for a couple of my students oh, really? started that. Yeah, it was on experiment.com. Uh, they were actually cool. doing a specific uh, experiment that they were doing a kind of a, a GoFundMe site for scientists. And um, they've been publishing that results. So that was possible. But my website, uh, jamiefosterscience.com, is probably where you can get a lot of information, some papers. And that has my contact information. Again, I'm with the University of Florida. So if you just uh, Google me, Jamie Foster, University of Florida, my website comes up. And people are more than welcome to contact me, email me if they have uh, specific questions. That's great. Well, Jamie, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And uh, thank you for inviting me. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. 
Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.